From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. David Fiorazzo with Mary Danielson. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Uh, we are going to be talking about the Passover today as Jesus would have celebrated it. We'll get some history. We'll go back to the Old Testament. We'll talk about what Scripture teaches on it and why and how Christians are celebrating it today. Um, and we've got a special guest from Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, uh, Paul Scharf. We'll get to him in just a minute, but I have a few announcements um, first of all, we were down, we are down to two states where we have not heard from you if you listen to Stand Up for the Truth. Rhode Island and Connecticut. Who will be next? And then, then whoever is going to send in a little correspondence with a donation from one of these states, forever the other state will be, yeah, we don't know if there are any Christians in whatever state. And we're joking. We're joking because yes. we know there are Christians in every state, yeah. uh, I think. But anyway, um, really quick, there's a local drive going on. I want to mention this again as we uh, kicked off the month of April. It's called Grayson's Care Bears. This is taking place in the Green Bay, Wisconsin area. It's a teddy bear drive for local hospitals. You can drop off brand new teddy bears, and I'll, I'll uh, explain where in just a minute, but I'm going to tell you why. Uh, Grayson, was he lived four and a half years. He had a lot of health issues, and he was in and out of hospitals. But when he, he had cerebral palsy and a compromised immune system. But when he had a hospital visit, he was greeted with a teddy bear, uh, and that is right next to him on the bed that we uh, see a picture in the hospital bed. And it just kind of made his day, made him smile. He, like I said, a lot of health issues. So uh, the family wanted to keep this memory going of just – Something that's done for children when they come to a very difficult time when children come to hospitals and there's a little teddy bear that they can kind of hang on to while they're there. So you can help keep this legacy going. Collection boxes to, for you to drop off brand new teddy bears until April 30th. It's all month long. Green Bay, two different pizza ranch locations. They have a box there. The Dough Shop in Green Bay slash De Pere. Dirt Juicery. On Oneida Street, Black and White Nails, and Advance America. You can go to the Facebook group and follow for more information. And that is Grayson's Care Bears. Grayson is spelled G-R-A-C-E-N-S. Grayson's Care Bears. All right. Mayor, we're, uh, we're excited because it's Resurrection Week, we call it. Uh, some people, you know, use different names. Uh, Passover. There's all kinds of things uh, that are important to talk about. So, I'm really looking forward to uh, just talking with Paul Sharp. So, Paul, um, he's with Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, serving in the Midwest. And um, my goodness, he's got a, an extensive background, a lot of recommendations. And I just want to bring him on right now. Paul, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you, David and Mary. Great to be with you. Uh, Paul, uh, before we get going, there's an event that you are going to do tonight in Wausau, and then there's an online event, a Passover a Cedar event, that's tomorrow online through Friends of Gospel, uh, Friends of Israel Gospel Ministries. Tell us about both of those things. 
Yes, I'm uh, I'm here in Wausau. I'm going to be speaking tonight at 6.30 p.m. at Wausau Bible Church. I uh, have a great connection uh, to the church there and love the folks and the congregation there at Wausau Bible Church. Uh, they've been having services actually every evening during this uh, Resurrection Week, as you mentioned. Uh, and uh, tonight is a special night. I'm going to be here to do a Passover Seder presentation. And uh, people can find that at org. Okay, awesome. So that's and, tonight. Uh, and then you mentioned the online event. That's a Friends of Israel event, mm-hmm. uh, specifically. And uh, it's uh, online tomorrow night at uh, 7 Eastern, 6 Central. But people don't have to be on at that exact time. They can also watch any time later. It's an online Passover celebration. I'll not be doing that. My friend Dan Price from International Ministries mm-hmm. in Friends of Israel will be uh, leading that. He'll be the one on the video. But people can go to foi.org slash Passover. They can register for free to take part in that. And... uh and they can join live or later on, and they can also find lots of other free resources there, foi.org slash Passover. Awesome. Yeah, Paul, and another uh, website that I really enjoyed is israelmyglory.org. That would be the name of the newsletter of the ministry, israelmyglory.org. There's a lot of content on there, featured articles about Israel, uh, society, theology, archaeology. There's a past issues archive daily headlines, blog posts, radio links, also something. Um, uh, so I would like, you know, people should definitely pay a visit to israelmyglory.org. It's wonderful. Also on the F- FOI, friendsofisrael.org, there's a Prophecy Up Close conference. I want to pick your brain about this a little bit. Uh, what are these conferences? This one is about the temple, so an entire conference about the temple. Hmm. Is this a, it's just, just a one location? Does, are there multiple locations? Um, what can you tell us about these uh, particular conferences? Uh, Mary, those are conferences that are held uh, all across the country at different times. Hmm. Um, and uh, the people can watch the schedule there for um, ongoing information. Uh, I believe there's still more to be added here in this year of uh, 2023. And, but people can see right now if they go to uh, foi.org and uh, look for the uh, conferences. And as you mentioned, Prophecy Up Close. This year the theme is on the temple. And uh, I was privileged to speak at one of these for the first time last year. Mm. And, uh, I'm currently not on any of those that are listed, but uh, people can stay tuned, and there may be more coming to that schedule. Okay, great. So that's that's a one-day prophecy conference with two speakers from Friends of Israel. Usually one of the speakers is one of our national leaders from our headquarters, and uh, it's a, it's a, a, a Saturday event, uh, oftentimes in a local church. So, Paul, in a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just share a little bit about you, because this is the first time we're having you on the podcast, so we'll talk briefly about your, you can bullet point your testimony, but I met you, I believe, last year at the Prophecy Conference in Appleton. Really? I think that's where I met you. Wow. Yes. Yeah, and so I want to, for those of you that are uh, amazed at this connection, I also want to bring in another connection now. I have to admit, I'm a little, uh, just a slightly bit jealous here. Because Dr. Andy Woods called you not only a friend, but a colleague. 
Now, he did an endorsement for my recent book, Canceling Christianity, called me a friend but not a colleague. Uh But I'm going to read what he wrote about you, Paul. (laughs) He said, I was delighted to learn that my friend and colleague, Paul Scharf, is now joining with Friends of Israel. This was five, six years ago, of course. I have worked with Paul on several projects, and I found him to be both a congenial colleague as well as a highly competent uh, promoter of works of biblical truth. Thus, he seems to be a natural fit with Friends of Israel in its desire to interpret the whole Bible literally and thus give Israel her proper place in the outworking of God's purposes. He receives my highest recommendation from Dr. Andy Woods. Paul, that's pretty amazing. Uh, have you lived up to that recommendation? I'm, just, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a daily task. <laughs> yes. yes. So share, share about your uh, testimony briefly before we jump into uh, just other things, including um, your article revealed in the Upper Room and Passover and uh, the topics today. Sure. Well, uh, the Lord has uh, richly blessed me in my life, and uh, beginning with my parents and my family and my home, I was raised in a conservative, confessional Lutheran background. Um, I could spend the whole hour telling the story. <laughs> Obviously, I won't take that, but just put it in a nutshell. Um, God providentially led me to uh, a, a Bible church, and uh, that was also really the fruition of another part of my family heritage my my mom's uh father who was uh born in the in 1899 uh he was he rarely left the farm in his life but he left for a few months in the early 1920s and went to moody bible institute Mm. Um, and he was a very early follower of the friends of israel Wow. And so that kind of came back around uh, later in my generation, and I uh, began attending uh, uh, a Bible church, as I mentioned, went to Bible college and seminary and embraced uh, dispensationalism, became fascinated with prophecy mm. uh, throughout that time, and also developed an interest in the Friends of Israel over a long period of time, um, beginning with really around high school, college years, reading the magazine, Israel, My Glory, utilizing textbooks from Friends of Israel that I had in classes in both college and seminary, and uh, actually getting to know a couple people from Friends of Israel. And the Lord, I think, planted a seed in my heart and mind that uh, finally came to uh, be realized in 2017 and 2018 after my wife had had brain surgery, hmm. and I had had several other um, issues going on where I was really in need of deciding what am I going to do next, and, for, you know, Lord willing, for the rest of my life. And it was really then, I believe, the Lord prodding me in my mind to say, this is now the time to pursue the Friends of Israel. And so uh, we began that process in 2017 in earnest, and that uh, finally resulted in me being appointed by the Board of the Friends of Israel in 2018. And so now we're in our fifth year serving as a church ministries representative in the Midwest, uh, slightly expanding the definition of the Midwest sometimes. (laughs) I've spoken spoken on behalf of the Friends of Israel in 11 states, I believe. Uh, at this point, that's so a, that's a big mis- Midwest. The Lord has, 
What's that? I said that's a big Midwest, 11 states. That's a big Midwest, yeah. yeah that's, uh, <laughs> so we're w- the Lord has opened many, many doors of opportunity, awesome. and we've really enjoyed uh, this time and all the blessings he's poured out on us through our work with the Friends of Israel. Um, I also want to ask you about, uh, you wrote a little article over at RaptureReady.com about the Chafer um, Seminary conference that dug deep into the Old Testament. And uh, again, I, I love the connection with uh, Dr. Andy Woods. Tell us a little bit about that. I, I, you recently attended that or what? Yes. Uh, so in expanding the definition of the Midwest, <laughs> one of the uh, one of the, t- the tasks I've been given is to uh, try to break into some ministry in Texas uh, I say maybe this was kind of a test that the <laughs> Friends of Israel gave me to see how that would go. Um, so I had I had only been to Texas once in my life uh, prior to going there on behalf of the Friends of Israel the first time. Texas is obviously a place where we have a large base of support uh, for the Friends of Israel, but we do not have anyone currently working there full-time or or at all in terms of church ministries. Hmm. And so I was invited uh, to go to Texas, and uh, I now keep in mind I put this whole trip together myself and then try to pull it off, and uh, that was the task I was given. And you mentioned Dr. Andy Woods. He was the first one who came to mind as a real connection. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's in the Houston area, and so uh, I I picked Houston. <laughs> Texas is a big place, so I've now been to Texas on four of these ministry trips, and uh, all four times I've been in Houston. Uh, once I extended the trip to Dallas, but uh, Houston is also where they have each March the you mentioned the Chafer Theological Seminary Conference. So I've I've been to that conference twice now in person. I had watched it for years online, uh, parts of it, but I've been there now twice, and uh, each time had the privilege of sharing a uh, short update about the Friends of Israel and mm-hmm. to have a, a minor speaking role in that way. It's quite an amazing conference. People can attend actually for free, uh, which is really astounding. They can also watch the sessions uh, on YouTube, but uh, there is some really incredibly uh, valuable material presented there each year. This this year we had three keynote speakers. One of them was Dr. Randall Price, who many of our listeners may recognize. He also writes for us in Israel My Glory. He's a board member for the Friends of Israel, mm-hmm. but he's one of the most brilliant uh, evangelical scholars in the world, really, with regard wow. to the Hebrew Bible and the Hebrew text and archaeology and numerous subjects, and uh, so it was just a wonderful conference. Mm, fantastic. Wow. I just also want to mention, before we get going here with the topic of Passover, um, friendsvisrael.org has a great resource page and phenomenal articles under their blog. So we're going to link to that. I mean, there's so many great articles. Just looking at some of these titles here, um, even going talking about the Red Sea Scrolls, what's so good about Good Friday, um, just so many things about Jerusalem. So we're going to connect you to the blog. So, Paul, open us up here on this interesting time, uh, as God would have it, that your first time on Stand Up for the Truth is on Thursday, Passover. 
And um, mm-hmm. at, we're just really excited to, to dig deep into this today. And just want to, you sent me some scriptures that you'd like to talk about. Mary and I have some um, suggestions as far as what we can get to as well. But where would you like to start today when we discuss the, the subject of Passover? Well, Passover is so important to the storyline of the Bible. Obviously, it's the most important holiday to our Jewish friends all throughout the world, and uh, it began for them last evening, um, an eight-day celebration that really biblically would include Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And But Passover is vitally important, in fact, more important uh, for us as Christians than many of us realize and there, it's not addressed often in the New Testament. In mm-hmm. fact, it's really only addressed in in, a, in doctrinally uh, anchored passages, uh, if I might say it that way, two times, I believe. And the one is very obvious, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, where Paul says, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Mm-hmm. And he is making an important point about that in the midst of a section that, all, of all things, deals with church discipline. <laughs> uh, that That's something we may not be excited to hear about necessarily. Yeah. It's really the uh, signal passage of the New Testament on that issue where we would go to look for direction on how to conduct uh, church discipline. But Paul, in the midst of that, he breaks out into a message on Passover. Hmm. And uh, any Jewish person would have clearly seen the connection even before he shared the verse that I just read a moment ago, because he's talking about the fact that a little leaven, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, leavens the whole lump. Mm. And so purge out the old leaven. We know that the Jewish people are credited with inventing spring cleaning because it takes weeks to prepare for Passover, to properly cleanse a home of all the leaven hmm. and to prepare ceremonially to celebrate the Passover. And Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, be sort of like writing to the church of one of our most infamously uh, wicked cities, I won't mention any by name here in America, but to say, you know, you have put your your community to shame. You've made the, the whole city blush. Now, that's hard to do in Corinth. You know, and it would be hard to do in our culture in many places as well, but mm. they, they accomplished it. And Paul's saying, your glorying is not good. He's saying, you need to have a spring cleaning. You need to clean out the church. Now, he's not talking about the church house, the church building. Mm-hmm. He's talking about a spiritual spring cleaning. Clean out the leaven and remember that Christ is our Passover who was sacrificed for us. And I think as we look into the Passover and what Jesus did with the Passover, specifically, it is vitally important and and very evident uh, how the Passover relates to us as Christians, and that is in that Jesus transformed and brought out of the Passover the Lord's Supper. Mm. Paul, I was looking at all your verses, and I and I also was looking at Luke twenty two fourteen to nineteen, and I love this because we're getting a glimpse of the heart of God. Because He says, "With fervent desire, mm. I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer." And I I looked up that word fervent, and it's just a longing. And so this alone would have set apart. Uh, from any other Passover the disciples had ever taken part in in the past. And how could this not have absolutely transformed them? But I love how Jesus gives a glimpse of, of 
how he feels about this. And um, do you have any thoughts on that, Paul? Mm, Yes. Well, Luke is an interesting, of course, all four Gospels deal with this issue to some extent or other. John is the only one that doesn't really give us a a detailed order of uh, Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. But uh, Luke's Gospel is very interesting because he, he shares that verse that you mentioned, with fervent desire, Luke twenty two fifteen, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You know, there are some interesting difficulties and complexities to try to put together the chronology of this resurrection week. Um, and that has led to a lot of different views and uh, uh, understandings and yeah. In terms of, you know, obviously some people believe even Jesus died on Wednesday or Thursday. I believe he died on Friday. I believe the meal on Thursday night uh, did happen at that time and that it was Passover mm-hmm. in which Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Some would even debate that and say that meal wasn't Passover. Um, but uh, I think it clearly has to be a Passover, and one of the verses is the one here that you mentioned, Luke twenty two fifteen, And I think that uh, as we d- dig into the details, we clearly see, you know, it had to be Passover. And I think he had to take that Passover and transform it into the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. So I love also verse 8, where as 1 Corinthians 5, 8, when there's a couple words added, um, when Paul writes, let's celebrate the feast, not with, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Uh, what is he right. saying there, Paul? Well, I think he's saying, again, we're not talking about, notice what Paul isn't saying here. He's not saying, hey, church at Corinth, this obviously, this living under grace, this church age living, is obviously not working. We need to go back under the law. We need to go back under the feast. We need to go back and keep the Passover. He's not telling them mm-hmm. that. Right. He's talking about, again, spiritually, a pl- application based on their knowledge and their understanding of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Christ is our Passover. He has fulfilled the Passover. We live in light of that spiritually, getting rid of the spiritual leaven in our lives and becoming something new with God's help. Mm-hmm. Early on, Paul, you were saying how incredibly important this date is. I mean, even the, the calendar, the Jewish calendar goes now, this is the first of the month. When when the uh, Israelites were leaving Egypt, God said to Moses and Aaron, this month is for you the beginning of the months. Uh, so this marks actually new right. time and everything. And also, uh, another interesting thing that I, I saw was that uh, – the Jews considered this so important in light of that, that even during their worst, darkest times, uh, Americans take note here, uh, during the Inquisition, <laughs> the Civil War, which would be in the West, the Holocaust, they made sure that they celebrated. And I read last night some incredibly touching stories. Um, there are many testimonials online and remembrances of how the Jews would squirrel away a little flour when they were in the concentration camps or maybe a little bit of oil yeah. and the miraculous ways that they celebrated the Passover. And I thought to myself, I, as I'm making a connection now with the Passover, the Last Supper, the Passover, the New Covenant, and communion, I'm thinking, how should we view communion now in light of the incredible uh, mm. love they have for this? Because they were told to celebrate it, you know, forever and ever through all generations. I found myself right. thinking that I'm not, 
I'm taking communion for granted. I was a well, little yeah, bit put to shame. The Holy Spirit convicted me about that. Mm. What do you yeah. think about how the church views communion, uh, you know, the fulfillment of Passover? How do you, is there something we can do better in the church and how we view this sure. amazing miracle? Yeah, I think we, I think it will help if we, uh, if we realize that the Lord's Supper, you know, is related to the Passover and how it, how it has this historical tie and what Jesus intended for us. Of course, there's lots of different understandings of communion, the Lord's Supper. Uh, I believe that the, the bread and the cup picture and cause us to remember, um, and memorialize the death of Christ, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. But Paul says specifically in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, and this is the other passage that we might not realize, I think is a reference to mm-hmm. Passover in the context of the Lord's Supper, the communion. Paul says, let a man examine himself. And let him and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now we often quote that verse in having a Lord's Supper service. Yeah. But I think any first century Jewish person would have realized Paul is making again a clear connection with the Passover. He's saying, "Hey, clean out your heart, confess your sin, and uh, thereby prepare yourself, be ready to receive properly the Lord's Supper." Mm-hmm. I like. Um one of the verses in Matthew 26, uh, it's just amazing. Right in this context of 26 through 30, verse 28, and you can read all four if you'd like, uh, Paul, four or five verses, but verse 28 specifically, uh, Jesus says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is being mm-hmm. poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. So th- his listeners or his uh, um, friends, the people, he was, the disciples who he was celebrating, Passover with, they clearly knew what the covenant was. Can you explain uh, the that context in the verse there, the verses in Matthew 26? Sure. Yeah, it, well, Jesus is here, and I believe, and uh, if people would come to our Passover Seder demonstration tonight or watch the one online from my friend Dan Price, either way, uh, they will see. I believe Jesus institution of the Lord's Supper takes place at the third cup of the Passover, which is the cup of redemption, when he was basically doing the very um, customary things with, you know, the the, uh, symbolic items of of the Passover table, um, but he transformed them into a new meaning. Uh, Interesting, back in Exodus... um, Chapter 24, verse 8, let me read that to you uh, quickly. Moses here is not speaking directly about the Passover, but he's speaking to the children of Israel. And uh, it says in Exodus 24, verse 8, that he took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. That's, we might say, the Old Covenant, the mm-hmm. Old Testament. Of course, we're... We're really simplifying wow. lots of things wow. here briefly. But uh, Jesus is instituting a new covenant. Now, that's a huge subject. Again, there are different views on what is the new covenant, and, and ultimately I believe the new covenant relates to the Jewish people. The Jeremiah 31, new covenant will be fulfilled in Israel. 
But Jesus is making a change, a shift here in how God is dealing with mankind, really. And he's, wow. and he's uh, also, as I said, he's transforming the Passover. He's taking the bread of the Passover and saying, as any Jewish father in a household leading a Passover would, take, eat. And he would break the bread and distribute it. But Jesus adds, take, eat, this is my body. Hmm. And uh, he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood. And uh, there he's clearly drawing on Exodus 24, 8, uh, and related ideas. But he was saying, Now this is my blood of the new covenant, yes. which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And I think verse 28 ties to something a little different. Uh, excuse me, 29 29 of Matthew 26 okay. that uh, that we can go into if you'd like sure. that I believe is the fourth cup of the Passover and it relates to some things down in the future. Well let's talk about that on the other side of the break. We've got to take a break in a minute. So you mentioned four cups we're going to talk about that but I love right. that we just pointed out Exodus 24 8 this, Moses said this is the blood of the covenant and Matthew twenty six twenty eight, Jesus said this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for the forgiveness, for many for the forgiveness of sins. I think that's an incredible uh, point of distinction to make where it's, it's God's blood. Jesus is God. Um, so we've got a lot more coming up. By the way, friends, if you just tuned in, our guest is Paul Scharf with Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. Mary Danielson is with us, and we are talking about the Passover. We'll talk about Ezekiel 45 when we come back and those four cups. And what about the blood? What about the lamb? What about the doorpost? We'll get into that in just a minute on Stand Up for the Truth. Five Talents Audio presents Witness Easter. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! A dramatic retelling of the last chapters of Mark. began to cast out those who sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who sold doves. Best-selling narrator Steve Cook performs this very special one-man radio theater presentation. But speak what is given to you at that time, for it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Ghost. The story of Christ crucified. In the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom and risen again you seek jesus of nazareth who was crucified he's risen he is not here witness easter gather your friends and loved ones for witness easter a dramatic retelling of passion week told directly from scripture 1 p.m and 5 p.m central time on good friday april 7th on q90 fm and q90fm.com your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our truth at any cost mission strong stand up for the truth.com paul shafe uh, uh, paul paul what is it i was going to say paul shafer paul sharf sharp my mind just went i was looking at i was looking at chafer theological seminary and paul sharf right and it came out paul chafer but no it's paul sharf uh, Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We're talking about Passover on this Thursday um, of what they, they call it. Some people call it the Passion Week. I call it the Resurrection Week. You can call it whatever you want, but uh, they're celebrating Passover tomorrow. I know Friends of Israel online. You can look that up at friendsofisrael or foi.org slash 
Passover. So, Paul, the cups, you mentioned four cups now, and I'm thinking, okay, Jesus mentioned the cup. <laughs> um, right. So when he you know, did the Last Supper with his disciples, so tell us about the four cups and uh, what does that mean? Well, this is from the Jewish Passover Seder. The word Seder means order in Hebrew, so we could really just say it's the order of the Passover. It's the order of service for the Jewish Passover, which would be conducted in a home, and through the centuries, and including up by Jesus' time, uh, they had added many traditions that expand beyond the simple directions given by God in Exodus 12 of how to celebrate Passover, and these continue down to our day. And it's, and it's built around four cups, uh, four cups of wine. Um, these would be, uh, again, through many different Jewish traditions. Some of these have, give, have different, there are different views, there are different names for the different cups. And people watching, perhaps even from different uh, ministries at this time of year, presenting sort of this Christ in the Passover type presentation, will also see a variation uh you know, sometimes in the names of these cups or their significance or other details. But basically, uh, we call them the cup of sanctification is the first cup. Mm -hmm. And these are all based in Exodus 6, 6, and 7. Okay. These cups are rooted in Exodus 6, 6, and 7, and the wording there. The cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, and the cup of acceptance. Hmm. And I think it's that third cup, the cup of redemption, that Jesus takes and transforms into the cup of the Lord's Supper, what Paul calls in First uh, Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing, the cup of blessing that we bless. And that's the third cup of the Passover of which Jesus said that we were to take it, that it is... Uh, a representation of his blood shed for us. Mm, wow, I like that. Mm -hmm. That's great. And so, um, again, for you guys that just missed the beginning of the podcast, you can tune in tomorrow over at foi.org slash Passover, and they will be doing the Passover celebration. Paul will be doing one in Wausau, Wisconsin, tonight, 6.30 p.m., Paul. And what's the name of the church again? That's Wausau Bible Church. At 6.30 p.m. tonight, uh, Passover Seder as part of the church's uh, remembrance and celebration this week leading up to Resurrection Day. Awesome. Yeah, Paul, you have also in uh, a list of some verses that I've been looking over from you, Ezekiel 45, 21 to 24, and it says in uh, 21, In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, you shall observe the Passover, a feast of seven days, unleavened bread shall be eaten. And I like this verse, it says 22, And on that day the prince shall prepare for himself and all the people of the land a bull for a sin offering. Can you give us the context of this, uh, Paul, and... Uh, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about this futuristic uh, reference to Passover. Right. Well, Ezekiel 40 through 48 are all about life in, I believe, the millennial kingdom. The thousand-year kingdom ruled by Christ. He'll be ruling as a priest on his throne. Zechariah 6 talks about that. And he'll be um, there as the king, the Messiah. And there will be a modification of Old Testament law. It won't be a complete return to the law of Moses, 
there will be a, there will be a new law code, if you will, for the millennial kingdom in this millennial temple that's described in Ezekiel 40 through 48. And Ezekiel 45 is the millennial feast chapter, just as Leviticus 23 is the feast chapter for the nation under the Mosaic law. Ezekiel 45 is the millennial feast chapter, and it tells us that the people of Israel will be celebrating a New Year's feast that's given above this in uh, Ezekiel 45, beginning in verse 18. And then the three of the seven feasts that the people had previously celebrated, uh, three of those will endure into the millennial kingdom, Passover, Unleavened Bread, and Tabernacles. And here the the feast of uh, Passover will be there in the millennial kingdom. So I love to tell people, you know, the Passover ends with the Jewish people saying at the end of the Seder, next year in Jerusalem. Mm. They have that hope <laughs> intrinsic to their understanding and to their faith. And uh, we know that the fulfillment of that is going to be very real. And in fact, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, You'll be there in that kingdom. You'll be there in Jerusalem with Christ to celebrate the Passover, um, not once, but a thousand times mm-hmm. in the millennial kingdom. Mm-hmm. And wow. we greatly long for that day, don't mm-hmm. we? So I know this is, uh, might be a weird question, but if you're just looking at these verses and you're, if you're understanding, um, Exodus 12 and the Passover lamb in Ezekiel 45, it doesn't mention a lamb. Um, right. it, it mentions a bull as a sin offering. It mentions seven bulls and seven rams without blemish, a male goat, and then a, a bull and a ram. Um, is there any significance to that, and why is there no lambs mentioned? Why are there no? Well, there there were other sacrifices given along with the Passover as it's developed in the law. This change, this is a change from what the law prescribed for the people of God to do in the Old Testament. Those sacrifices will be memorial. Um, uh, primarily, they won't ha- obviously no the blood of no bull or goat or any animal can take away sin. Hebrews tells us Jesus took away our sin, and He's the Lamb, and He'll be there to administer the Passover and oversee it. And these sacrifices mm. will memorialize in in largely the same way the bread and the cup do for us right now. Uh, these sacrifices then will be a memorial to cause the world to see, yes, Christ was the sacrifice who took away our sin. So how would you answer someone who might question and be a little confused about, uh, so Christians celebrating the Passover Seder, um, you're, you're talking about, you know, when you compare that to Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples and saying, this is the blood of my covenant, this is my body, or this is my blood, he said, my body, in this new covenant, and so, should we celebrate both? Because Jesus said, do well, this in remembrance of me. Right. Yes, and that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that, David, because people will challenge me or us at the Friends of Israel on that sometimes. And again, we're saying we're not putting the church back under the law or the feasts or okay. actually celebrating the Passover. In fact, we're very clear that we're not trying to do that. That would be very offensive to, uh, you know, some Jewish people in particular, we're not trying to say we are now celebrating the Passover, or, and we're certainly not saying that this is, this is important for our sanctification, that we 
somehow keep the Passover. We're just looking at the Passover historically for educational reasons to understand the history, the background, the Mm -hmm. nature, the Jewish nature of our faith. I like to say the whole Bible is a Jewish book, Um, not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament. The whole book is a Jewish book. It's been given to us by the Jewish people. So if we're going to understand it, we need to to understand this history. It's a rich history filled with symbolism that points to Jesus, the Messiah. Mm. And then the part we do celebrate and we do for sure need to understand is how Jesus took the Passover and brought something new out of it, namely the Lord's Supper, to memorialize his sacrifice for sin. And that is the part, of course, we as Christians in the Church do celebrate. And mm-hmm. so, yes, we need to be, I think we need to be very careful and distinct of how we deal with this. So we're not saying that you have to keep the Passover or even should keep the Passover to somehow earn any favor before God or for any other reason. Uh, we're just looking at the Passover and marveling at all that God mm-hmm. did for the Jewish people, mm-hmm. all that is still ahead for the Jewish people and how that informs our understanding of the Bible today. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, thank you, Paul. Um, Mary found a phenomenal article over at uh, the Front Page Mag um, by Daniel Greenfield, and I'm going to let her open this up and talk about this in a minute. I just want to reemphasize, in, again, Exodus chapter 12, those last two verses, um, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, again, against the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. In verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land mm-hmm. of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So the people were to celebrate and uh, the Passover lamb in their homes and eat that with the bitter herbs and then put the blood on their doorposts. So Exodus 12 for more context on that. But Mary, let's open up this article and as we're talking with Paul about the Passover. Yes, and one thing I was, when you were talking just uh, a minute ago, I was thinking this, the new and the old contained, the old and the new explained. And I like that because yes. it is the whole Bible. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I, I saw this article, Passover's Revolt Against the Tyranny of Paganism, and I was going to ignore it. I thought of another modern-day commentary on the Passover. And I'm so glad I didn't. This is Daniel Greenfield, American uh, Jewish gentleman. Uh, and the reason I think this spoke to me is because people think, well, that was Bible times. Those people lived in Bible times. No, we are still living in Bible times. So I want to bring this up to date a little bit. And he starts off by saying, over 3,000 years ago, a slave revolt took place that is repeated every year. It wasn't just a rebellion against a long-since-vanished pharaoh whose dynasty and people have been consigned to dust, along with his treasure cities that the Jewish slaves had labored over. The revolutions of the past come and go. Nations rise and fall, Mm. and then they fall further into the history books. Passover, however, was a remarkable revolt, not just against an empire, but against paganism, and it remains relevant even after all these thousands of years later. Passover is a testament of faith. It's the account of an absolutely degraded people still continuing to believe for centuries and millennia that their salvation, passed down by tradition, would come from a God they'd never seen or heard. But it's the revelation that slavery isn't just physical, it's also spiritual. Mm. And he goes on to say that last year a survey found that 96% of Israeli Jews are planning on attending a Seder. In America, it's around... 70%. 
Uh, and then he goes, and this is the last point I'm going to make about this, but, I, you know, we tend to think, are we in bondage? Well, look around you at the paganism and the spiritual Boy. bondage that our nation is under. And mm-hmm. and just just meditate on that a little bit, because he says, many liberal American Jews have lost sight of this. They pepper their Seder meal for the first two nights with references to civil rights, LGBTQ oh, movements. They discard the personal power of their history and replace it with generic left politics. Is it any wonder they're so unhappy? They've been uh, come to be defined by neurosis and the Israeli Jew by autonomy. Happiness doesn't come from our comfort, but our sense of meaning and purpose. Uh, and so we've had, you know, people have been in bondage ever since to various things. You had the Holocaust, you had the Egyptians, and all these such things, Paul. But I, all that to say, we can still see today how important it is to not worry about our circumstances and the things that seem to be looming, but always put our faith in God who will deliver us as a people. Mm. Hey, Paul. That's right, yes. I want to get uh, just go a little further. I I found uh, another couple interesting statements he made and then get your response. He said, and this is Daniel Greenfield at Front Page Magazine, um, God was not just active long ago. He is active in our world today, and so all our times are biblical times. Mm -hmm. That is the true meaning of Passover. He said Passover is not a celebration of the past, but a reunion of the past, present, and future. The oppressions and redemptions of the past resonate in the present and foretell the future. It's kind of deep there, Paul. I'd just love to get your thoughts on what Mary read and what, what we shared here. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's it's it has some similarities. Something I often say, uh, almost every church that I speak in, or almost every time that I preach, I will say that God still has a future for Israel, mm-hmm. and uh, that, of course, is the reason the Friends of Israel has existed mm. since 1938. Three weeks after Kristallnacht and the launch of the Holocaust, Ooh. the Friends of Israel began. And uh, we'll turn 85 years old this December. Wow. And that's our, our whole reason for existing is that we believe God still has a future for Israel. And our founders of our ministry named the ministry when there was no Israel. They named the ministry the Friends of Israel. Wow. And uh, I often say as well that as God has been with his chosen people in their biblical past, so he is with them today, yes, even in their unbelief, he is working within the Jewish people today in the strategic present, he will be with them in the prophetic future, and all Israel, Paul tells us, will be saved, the blindness that is temporarily impacting their hearts and minds, their spiritual eyes, is only partial, there are Jewish people believing in Messiah today, and it's only for a temporary time, and one day the whole nation will return in faith to the Lord God. Mm-hmm. Wow, a lot to think about. Um, yeah. Friends, uh, we're listening to uh, Paul Scharf. He is with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. And Paul, um, feel free to continue to share anything that you wanted to uh, about the Passover. That's our, our topic today. But I, I want to make some points that you shared in an article called Revealed in the upper room, the church. Um, because what church. happened? I mean, wh- one of the things we do in our churches is have the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. That's one of the four pillars in Acts 2.42. The apostles' teaching, um, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. The breaking of bread is the Lord's Supper. 
So you mentioned the early church here, and you made some points that things that Jesus revealed about this impending time as he spoke with his disciples, and some of them really make you think in this bullet point list that you shared, starting that he there would be a new commandment, uh, the disciples' ministry focus would transition, uh, the day would involve a change of status for the apostles, mm-hmm. uh, the type, disciples would now realize a different type of connection to Christ, mm-hmm. the disciples would face an unprecedented level of opposition in their new ministries, their focus would involve conveying a witness regarding their time with Christ, and this new dispensation would be marked by the convincing work of the Holy Spirit. Just elaborate on whatever, any of these points that you would like. Well, thank you, David. This is an article, I write a weekly column, and this is uh, part of a series I'm doing for this uh, resurrection season leading up, uh, we finished, Lord willing, this week, um, on Revealed in the Upper Room. And these, of course, are things Jesus spoke to the Apostles after the Passover, John doesn't give us the details of the Passover and the Lord's Supper, just really the focus in John 13 is on Judas. Mm. Remember Jesus saying, it's the one that I, you know, that I point out to you here. In uh, John 13, uh, there are several verses that describe that event leading up to the fact that that he says to uh, uh, Judas, uh, uh, you know, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it, John thirteen twenty six, And uh, then uh, well, Judas... Can we pause right there uh, for a minute? Pause right there, because sure. he just said, someone will betray me. And they're right. all sitting around with him. It was an intimate gathering. And they're going, right. they were shocked. And they're saying, surely not I. And he's, and one, it might have been John that said, well, who, who is it, Lord? And Jesus answered the question, but you don't really see any reaction in the text. He said, it is the one whom I will dip this morsel in the cup and give it to. And he gave it to Judas. And, right. and isn't that, I go ahead, Paul. I just find that to be fascinating. A betrayal. They're all shocked. He gave it to Judas. And then uh, the only thing he said after that was go and do what you have to do or whatever. And that. The disciples thought he was going to go give money to the poor or something, but he went and betrayed Jesus. Share a little bit about that before we move on. Well, I believe that uh, there are actually in the Gospels, as we piece them together, there are actually two different uh, statements that don't appear to be the exact same thing regarding Jesus and Judas here. And I believe these are during the elements of the Passover. And so uh, earlier we had seen, um, for instance, uh the verse is, um, uh, if I can find it here quickly, um, in uh, uh, Matthew twenty six twenty three uh, would be one place. He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me mm. uh, will betray me, Jesus says. And then later here in John, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread. It appears to be two different events mm. that may have been fairly close in time where Jesus, you know, reveals to Judas, I know what you're doing, and then he finally, you know, reveals to the disciples, although they didn't totally understand, it's Judas, and then Judas goes out, and it was night for him, um, <laughs> uh, in more ways than one, wasn't it? But to get back to your 
earlier question, so then Jesus begins with Judas out of the room. I think then he institutes the Lord's Supper out of the Passover, and then he goes into this lengthy teaching that we call the Upper Room Discourse, which is the subject of this series of articles, and this one on, as you said, revealed in the Upper Room, the Church. Mm -hmm. He's really commissioning the disciples for the Church age ahead and giving them a, a strategic list of points of what the coming church age, which they still do not fully understand, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we can only imagine what it was like for them to go through this whole night and, wow. and then for this just to be part of it. But he's giving them information about what the coming church age will be like. Mm. Wow, Paul, this is incredibly rich. Yeah. I mean, we're just scratching the surface of this, the richness of the, the spiritual, heritage, spiritual heritage we have. But what's dawning on me here is that the Exodus and the Passover was really the birth of Israel as a nation. And now we have the right. Last Supper, which was a Passover, which is communion, is points to the beginning of the church. And that doesn't take away from Pentecost right. in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. But the cup of redemption, now we're talking the beginnings, those two beginnings. And I think um, you know, replacement theology is just such a wicked thing. And I, I think you'd mentioned dispensationalism, a dispensation. Dispensationalism provides for understanding all these things, which the church, and this is a whole other subject, which the evangelical church has left off, is that literal interpretation of the scripture and prophecy in dispensationalism. Uh, and now here we have, we're, we're swimming in a sea of replacement theology. Do you have any thoughts on that, Paul? Yes, replacement theology, I mean, it's been around since as, at least as early as the first uh, excuse me, the second century. Mm. We know that Paul told the elders at the church at Ephesus, you know, that uh, the coming church age after the apost uh, apostolic time was over was going to be marked, Acts 20, 28 through 31, by, you know, people coming in and speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples mm. after them. Mm. Uh, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, Paul yeah. said. And yeah. so that really begins in earnest in the second century. And uh, you're referencing my article there from Israel, My Glory, on facing replacement theology. And uh, that article also references a blog series I wrote for Friends of Israel on the danger of replacing Israel. And people can find uh, lots more information there about those things. But uh, I, I believe that the church does not replace Israel. The church is um, here for this time as God's program. It's a new man, Paul says, that is composed of both Jewish people and Gentiles, all believers in Christ. But God still has that promised future for Israel. And maybe we could get back to that fourth cup yes. that I think ties that together for us, the sure. fourth cup of the Passover. Sure. Well, we've got uh, two minutes left. Actually, about a minute and a half. We want to wrap this up, Paul. Okay. Well, the, the fourth cup is the cup of acceptance in the Jewish Passover Seder, and I believe that's the cup of which Jesus said he wouldn't drink it. Hmm. Matthew twenty six twenty nine. I will not drink of this fruit of the vine, because they were not accepting him. Hmm. So he could not drink the cup of acceptance. Hmm. The Jewish people had not accepted him, but wow. then it includes this blessed word, that we find in numerous contexts here at the Passion, at the Passover, in prophecy. It's the word until. I will not drink it until that day when I drink mm. it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
Wow. He that, is going good. to drink it yep. on the condition that they accept him, and they will accept him, and all Israel will be saved, and he will drink that cup in the coming kingdom when the Jewish people have uh, looked on him whom they've pierced and mourned for him as one mourns for their only son and receive their Messiah as Savior and King. Wow, that's a great place to at least pause for now with our friend Paul Scharf. The Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. Brother, thank you for your time today. Happy Resurrection Week. <laughs> yes. Thank you, David. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate it so much. And yes, God bless you as we celebrate the resurrection. All right. We'll talk again, my friend. All right. So tomorrow being Good Friday, why do they call it good? We can talk a little bit about that in light of what Jesus experienced. And there is a word that's very descriptive, excruciating. Look up that word in the, in the back. That's what he experienced on the cross. Jonathan Brentner is back with us tomorrow. He's got a new book coming out, and we'll tell you about that. And we're going to talk about Good Friday and the resurrection, what we have to look forward to. God bless you, friends. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.